So it was uh, Pastor John Ortberg. He said, if you want to draw a crowd, preach on three things. Number one, sex. Number two, preach on the end times. And number three, preach on if there will be sex in the end times. Um, so we're talking about sex this week. And uh, um, a little bit actually next week and the week after that too as we continue through this, this letter. So by my calculations, by April, we're going to need to build uh, an addition onto the building, uh, the crowds. Actually, people are genuinely interested in these things, um, in these topics there's so many messages and depictions of sexuality in our world today. Uh, people are, can be very confused. Uh, things are coming from a lot of different directions. People want to know, what does God believe about these things? What do the scriptures teach about these things? So, and it doesn't bother me to talk about sex. I, I uh, worked in youth ministry for many years and sort of planned certain talks uh, about sex. And then the ones you don't plan, that just kind of comes up. Uh, so the topic would come up quite a bit. And it's an important topic. And it's not a new thing. This is not a contemporary issue. Look at Corinth. We've been working our way through this letter. A couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 5. There was an instance of immorality that was really uh, kind of intense, even by today's standards. And uh, so this is, when we think about Corinth, this is a pretty kind of hyper-sexualized kind of a place. So... uh, so there's a lot of that in this letter. Paul is talking about sexual immorality. The Greek word that he uses for that is porneia. And porneia could mean prostitution, it could mean fornication, uh, but just generally in scripture, this word porneia means any sexual activity outside of God's good, beautiful design for sexuality, anything outside the confines of a committed marriage between a man and a woman. And so the early Christians, certainly in Corinth, their view of human sexuality and of the human body would have been very different than the view of these things in Corinth. And then today, too, the way that we view our bodies, the way that we view sexuality is different than the world around us. And so it's really this, what I'm going to say today is something that you're only going to hear at church and from Christians who take the Bible seriously. It's not a message that you're going to hear in other places. So we have an important issue, important questions. We turn to God's word. And our biblical theology should help us to answer questions about how we view sex and how we would uh, choose to or not practice these things. It's a, uh, the, the, the vision that God gives in his word for the human body and for human sexuality is a big, beautiful vision. It's a good vision. But if we don't learn God's vision for these things, we're going to take our cues from the world around us. We're going to take our cues from what our friends might say. And we take our cues even just from our own bodies. Our own urges will guide us. But we, as people of faith, turn to God's word for these answers and for this vision. Now, this is a, So this is a message for all of us, young and old, on the first Sunday of the month, our students are with us, our junior high and high school students. So it's not by accident that this is uh, overlapping today. Uh, But we live in a world that's confused. In some ways, our world has this just uh, very high view of the human body, of 
obsession with health and, and beauty and the importance of those things. On the other hand, our world has a very low view of the body, particularly of sexuality. Oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. And so when you see these conflicting extremes, it indicates that there's some confusion there. And we need God's wisdom. Uh, and again, this is a message that we're, we're not going to hear anywhere else. And we want to understand this rightly. So let's pray. Father, this is a letter from your messenger, Paul, to a group of Christians just many hundreds of years ago. Yet by faith, we believe this is your word to us today. And so as such, we pray for your wisdom that as we look into your word, that it would be living and active and shaping our view of ourselves and of you and of the world we live in. So we humbly give ourselves to you and we humbly sit before your word and pray that you would enliven our hearts to understand. And by your spirit, give us the courage to obey. May it be for your glory. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, the way I want to look at this this morning is look at the, what, what is the Corinthian view, the, sort of the, the view of the world of that day. Uh, that What is the way of Corinth? And then secondly, what is the way of the cross? And how are those different from each other? And lastly, how might we apply some of these things for ourselves today. So let's jump right in. Verse 12. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. And that first verse, verse 12. Paul uses two phrases, two little sayings, Corinthians, Corinthians sayings or Corinthian catchphrases. Catch uh, the first one is, I have the right to do anything, you say. So sort of quoting the people of his day. I have the right to do anything. You know, no one can tell me what to do with my life, with my body. You know, I'm my own. This makes sense. If, if someone does not believe that God created their body, if somebody doesn't believe that God had a, has a design in his creation, then you're just left with yourself and your own body, and you'll do whatever you want with it. That makes sense. We, are, uh, we understand that somebody would believe that way. Uh, there's, there's a high view of independence and autonomy in that kind of a saying. I have the right to do anything. But Paul reminds them, but not everything is beneficial. Beneficial, that word he uses, is about the common good. Yeah, you could do anything, but not everything that you do, that you have the authority to do as an independent person, is going to be good for you or society around you. And we hit that last week. Mac uh, preached a message last week about how we have, there are lots of things that we could do in faith. We're very free people, yet not everything is going to be good. Not everything is going to be beneficial. In God's design, even our sexuality and sexual behavior has a good purpose, not just for us, but for, uh, for our world around us. Because our personal choices impact our world. God designed our world so interconnected that that's the case. So he says this phrase again, I have, in, in verse 12, I have the right to do anything, but, Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. He basically says, I have the authority to do anything, but I'm not going to let anything have authority over me. And again, this amazing freedom that we have as humans, this amazing freedom that we have as Christians. He said, the irony is that you can use your freedom to become less free. You can use your freedom to become a slave. 
Paul taught elsewhere in Galatians, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And he said with, with human sexuality, you can use your freedom to do things that will actually trap you. For example, you can imagine someone who is so obsessed or drawn or attracted to another person and gets into a relationship, a sexual relationship with somebody who has a very flawed character, who is bad for them, who may be abusive, and this attraction is actually gets into a bad relationship where you are trapped, where you are less free. You can imagine that there are those who in, engage in different sexual activity to prove themselves, to prove how, how beautiful they are, how masculine they are, or whatever it is, to satisfy some need but are left empty. Because these expressions of sexuality without the commitment that God designed for it, can, people can become left abandoned and, and left hurt. It, it, the freedom has, has not made the person more free. The point here is that this, this saying in Corinth, and actually it's kind of a contemporary notion, hey, I have the right to do anything. Nobody can tell me what to do, but not everything is good for me. And we know this is true. You know, I could eat whatever I want. I could put anything in my body that feels good. No, we know that there are ways of, of um, using our bodies that or things that we do to our bodies that can be destructive even to our bodies. This is a season, we're in the season of Lent right now. And during Lent, many Christians choose to deny themselves of things that they would otherwise have. Sometimes it's giving up certain foods, uh, certain behaviors. And when you get into that kind of rhythm, you realize how quickly we just uh, reach for food or how quickly we... Uh, reach for a drink or do these things where we're just, oh, well, I'm just doing what feels good. But really, are we in more in control? Are we more free when we do those things? And when you try to give things up, you learn, wow, actually, this is pretty hard. That I often just go, maybe I'm not in control. It's just my urges that are driving these things. But not everything that just feels right to me uh, is necessarily good. And then in verse, verse 13... Paul shares another little saying of the day, another little Corinthian catchphrase. He said, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Basically, the Corinthian way was, if you're hungry, eat. If you have an urge, you satisfy it. And they saw sexuality the same way. It's not a moral issue. It's just an appetite. And if you're hungry, go for it satisfy, uh, go with your urges. And, and it doesn't matter because God will destroy, you know, food for your stomach, stomach for food. It's just an urge. God's just going to destroy it. Now, behind this saying is, again, now we're, this is where the distance between us and Corinth is, is great. Behind this saying is a view of the human body in the, in the Greco-Roman world, which was very low. That the physical body, they were very spiritual people and, um, a lot of different religious ideas, but the idea in the Greek mind was that the spiritual life is real, and then this physical life is just sort of disposable. The human body is is going to die, and it's kind of we're kind of trapped. The soul is trapped inside of this physical thing, so it's not really important your body because it's just going to be destroyed. But 
in God, God actually has a very high view of the human body, that the Christians did not agree with the world around them in this area. That God made the human body and that he made it good for a good purpose. And God himself takes on a human body. The incarnation, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. That the God of the universe would take on the human condition. We must have a very high view of the human body, of the physical body. Paul says your body is not just some machine that consumes food and you have hunger, you eat. You have an urge, you go with it. He said, your body is something that God is going to raise up. God raised up Jesus Christ. He's going to raise up your body too at the resurrection. And according to verse 13 here, um, that, or in verse 14, the same essence of the human body that is capable of immorality, of sexual immorality, is the same body which the Lord is going to raise up at the end of time. Such that we, we, we know by faith that if we die in the Lord, if we die as people of faith in the Lord, that, that when Christ returns, that we will be raised and we'll be given new bodies, but it's still your body. It's the same body. It's just made new. It's not one is completely destroyed and the other is um, it's just a, a whole new thing. That it's, it's a transformation of you. So if, you're, if the body that you live in now is the one that God is going to raise and make perfect, then what you do with that body is important now, and it's important for all eternity. You, who you are now is meaningful, meaningfully connected to that. Um, so this is a profound view of the human body, which is in complete contrast to, to the way of Corinth. The way of Corinth is, I can do whatever I want with my body, and, the, and if I have an urge... I satisfy it. And Paul says, no, God has a a very different way. And the way of the cross, God's way, is that God has a special purpose for your body. It's for the Lord. Look at verse 13. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? You know, um, verse 17, whoever is united with the Lord is united with him in spirit, that we belong to Christ. We are united as one to him spiritually. And our physical bodies and our sexual bodies that God has created us to be sexual beings, to reflect that oneness, that human sexuality reflects the oneness of God and his people. Um. And if that's what my body is for, he said, would you then start taking that and throwing it around? Or, the, you know, does the temple prostitutes come down every night? Would you then take what is to be united with Christ and, and united with the prostitutes? He said, never. That God's love for his people is reflected even in their bodies and even in their sexual behavior in a way that visiting a prostitute would not. For example, God's love Again, God's love is in, that we reflect as humans in marriage, and that's not reflected in immorality, in, in the context here, prostitution. God's love is committed love, and prostitution is, is certainly not that. It is very casual. God's love is self-sacrificing, of, of giving oneself. That is reflected in marriage. Uh, immorality, prostitution, is is. Not, it's selfish. It's doing what feels good to me. It's taking something from someone else. 
God's love, again, reflected in marriage, is, is about the care and the dignity of human life, where things like prostitution are very dehumanizing, very impersonal. God's love is enduring, as reflected in marriage. Immorality is very temporary. God's love is pure. Immorality, prostitution, is, is impure. And, and this is why Paul says this is, these, are, these issues are unique. These kind of sins are uniquely detrimental. Verse 18 says, All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is unique because God made your body to reflect him in a special way. And when we go against that design, we, we lose that reflection. The design of our bodies is, we, we, we are cutting against how God created that. And then comes the most profound statement, in my opinion, verse 19. It says, do you not know that your body, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you have received from God. That the design of your body is that God is meant to dwell in it. That's the purpose. Now, it's interesting because the God of Israel did have a temple. So there's a, there's a shift here. Paul's saying, actually, your bodies are the temple. But there was a temple in Jerusalem. And before that, there was a tabernacle, which was sort of a portable temple. They were designed the same. The design of God's house, his temple, was the same design as an ancient Near Eastern house. There was an outer courtyard around the house where anybody could gather and and greet and meet one another. It was a communal space, but a a casual space. But then to go into the inside, into the tent, or into the, the inner part of the temple, was much more intimate and personal You had to be a special person to go in there. You had to be deeply connected. And then inside of that chamber was an inner, inner chamber. It was sort of, um, it it was the place where God's presence resided, the Holy of Holies. And only a very special person who was uh, very pure and ceremonially clean could go in there at the right time. And that's where God's presence was most intimately known. But in an ancient Near Eastern house, that's the bedroom. That's the inner chamber where the most intimate of human relationships would occur. And God is choosing to meet his people. He's revealing himself in the most intimate of space. It's the bedroom of his temple. And and here, Paul says, you are that. That is the the intimacy of God for his people is so close and personal that it, it reflects even human sexuality. And that's how God desires to live in you. That's the closeness. That is the, that is the bond. And, and, and your human sexuality reflects that. It's a special image of how God desires intimacy with his people. And if you violate that, you obscure that image. And he says, you're not your own. You know, honor God with your body. This is his home. It's to reflect him. So how do we apply this for our lives? First of all, we teach sexual purity, as Scripture teaches. But we recognize as we do that we are all broken people and that we all make mistakes. But God wants us to be healed. God wants us to be whole. And His grace, no matter how far off of uh, His plan that anyone gets, that God's grace is sufficient to forgive and to heal. 
in, in our instincts and in our own desires and what we, um, the, the, the powerful teachers of our culture and even our own bodies um, are, are very difficult. And we are very prone to fall, all of us in these areas. Yet we don't just give up. We don't say, well, everybody's going to mess up. Well, it's no, you know, we're all fallen. We're all going to sin. No, we don't just throw our hands up. We, we pursue this kind of purity because of the beautiful vision God has given us and how beautiful it is. Uh, so we are patient with each other and we are forgiving and we, we need trusted friendships where we can wrestle with these things and pursue this together as a community. Secondly, is so, we, so first we, we pursue purity, but secondly, we flee from everything else that would undermine this. We flee from immorality, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Whatever that is for you that could cause you to, to sin or to fall in these areas. Now, we don't live in Corinth, so at sunset, the temple prostitutes don't come walking around. But there are plenty of things uh, that we would see or situations we would be in that could cause temptation. The instruction here is to run. There's nothing good that's going to come of it. Don't mess with it. Run away from it, whether it's a, a relationship or a situation or whatever it is for you, that we flee from that. And we're going to pursue God's beautiful vision for our human bodies and, yes, even our sexuality, and that he would be glorified in that. Let us pray. Father God, you have given us these bodies we live in. You've made us this way for your good purposes. It shows us who you are and your deep love for us. That you love us so much that Jesus Christ gave his body, broken for us, his blood poured out for us that we can be forgiven and united with you as one forever. I pray that we would understand the connection of these things, Lord. Lord, there are, um, there are many of us who, have, who, str- who struggle, who, who fall short of your glory. We all fall short of your glory, Lord. We pray for your grace to forgive, to heal, to unite us to, to you as, as your people, and that it would be for the sake of your kingdom, for the good of your people, and for your glory. We pray all these things in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.